0: Hey, I'm Kevin, the student pastor at Shore Church again. Thanks for listening to our message. We strive each week to bring you relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To find out more about us or what's going on at the church, head on over to scog.com or download the app. Hope you enjoy the message. All right, we are... Finishing up the Into the Wilderness series today, this has been a blast for me. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Uh, I have just just loved exploring Moses' life uh, at this time and kind of delving into uh, what Exodus looks like. And for me, I, I made the whole series, did all the verses in it, was ready to go for the whole big package. And as and I thought I knew where all the messages were going, and as I kept on studying and reading and preaching these messages, uh, it became less and less and less about Moses, but and more and more about the promises of God and how he um, these I will statements just kept on just resonating in my head, and I hope they're resonating in your head and your heart as well. Um, because these promises that God makes so m- 3,000 years ago to the Israelite people, they're the same promises that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ uh, today for us. And so much of what Easter is about is actually the, the the fulfillment of all these promises. And that, for me, has really, really, really just kind of shaken me a little bit in my understanding of Exodus. Before, it was always the fun action story part of the Bible, like, Oh yeah. Then there's a plague. Then there's this, then there's a flood, then there's a, and then the red sea parts and all this fun stuff. And then there's a battle and then there's, and there's this golden calf happen, and then Moses gets mad. And I always liked that part. Cause I was like, yes, if Moses can get mad, I can get mad too. And then he throws the tablet, you know, <laughs> throws the tablets on the ground and breaks them. And Oh my goodness, all this stuff. And that's, where I always kept it. It was this very surface level, like, oh, this is fun. We can glean some leadership lessons from this, blah, 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 blah. That's where I was 100% going to go. And then I read the Bible. And something that you have read and you've been a part of and maybe you've listened to the messages uh, of for your whole life, all of a sudden hits a little differently. It smacks you across the head and you go, oh, wow, there's more here. There's more, there's more and I hope that that has become evident in you. Maybe I'm just the slow one here, and you guys are like, yeah, Jared, we've seen this our whole lives. What, it was your problem, and that's fine. I'm, I'm trying to catch up to you, uh, you saints of the church, uh, So, uh, but I, ho- I hope that, that that is the same for you. I hope it also shows you that when you start examining the scripture um, and, and looking at it, something that maybe you've taken grant- for granted for years, God still speaks through it and can change your heart um, in it, and so that's what We've been doing over the last few weeks, and it has been a blast. Uh, we've spent a lot of time talking about this covenant and the covenant of uh, the Mosaic covenant and really kind of boil it down. It's kind of a big topic, but it's this promise between God um, and the people and God saying, I'm going to do all these things for you. And what you're going to do is keep the 10 commandments. So what God says to him, the, the people is says, he says this, I will bring you out of Egypt I will rescue you from bondage, I will redeem you, I will take you as my people. I will bring you into a land I have for you. I will give you a possession. I, I, will, I will do all these things. It's a very lopsided agreement. What you have to do on your part is don't kill people. Don't steal, don't lie. Don't sleep with somebody else's wife. Like, at, when you look at it, you're like, well, you're defeating the whole Egyptian army all their pantheons and gods. You're going to redeem us from slavery. You're going to give us a place to live. This sounds like a really good deal, right? You can rattle. I can hear you. Okay, uh, you can, you're in the room now. You can, you can rattle. Uh, so um, this sounds like a really good deal, like very lopsided. Like, wait a minute. Where's the catch? No catch. I'm your only God. Don't make stupid idols. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill people. This is what you gotta do, and I'll even I'll even sweeten the pot even more. If you do happen to do those things, here's the way to cleanse yourself so you're still cool and you're in the covenant. Okay, so now I have really boiled down the whole sacrificial system as to the nitty gritty as I possibly can. So if you break one of those laws, this is when the grain offerings come in, or you gotta kill this dove, and the blood of that, that dove will wash away the sin. If you really screw up, you gotta kill a uh, a bull or a sheep, and you gotta y- your sin. Transposes onto those, onto that, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb takes your sin, and you're good to go. Everything's right in the world for you spiritually. Okay? That is about as quick as I could possibly get that down for you. But out of that, we, I fixated for years and years and years on, oh man, how gross is that? How many animals were slaughtered? How many, all this stuff. And all I could think about was the bloodbath of animals getting killed because of the sin of people. I never was thinking about how lopsided the agreement between God and the people were. Like, no, 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 no. Just stop lying. Just don't lie. Just don't lie. You don't have to do any of the lamb killing stuff. Don't steal. Don't kill people. Just don't do that. And we continually go, oh. For me, for you, this morning, we may not have... You know, killed anybody today, I hope not. Uh, But there may be some of the other 10 commandments that we've already broken today. Today, in this radical, crazy amount of grace that God gives us to say, listen, listen, listen. I want you to be my people. I will do everything for you. I will fight for you. I will bring you out of whatever bondage you have been in. I will redeem you. I I choose you to be my people. All you got to do is quit doing the stupid stuff. And the Israelite people continue to return back to their stupid stuff. And this doesn't, this lopsided agreement in the Mosaic covenant doesn't stop there. It, it gets actually even more lopsided, if you can imagine that. In Deuteronomy 7 uh, and 5, there's a little bit more playing out of the consequences if you do not do, or if you do do, <laughs> uh, if you need <laughs> I like that our youth leaders, our student leaders, are the ones that laugh the most at that. By the way, uh, if you happen to cause some problems, uh, this is what's going to to happen. All right, Deuteronomy seven nine. That's beautiful. Uh, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. How many generations? Okay, this is important. How many generations? That's a lot, a lot. We've now gone into like six-year-old, uh-huh, infinity times infinity area, right? That's what a thousand means in, in, in the Bible, actually. Like, it's whenever they're like a bunch, they're like a thousand. That's their default infinity times infinity is a thousand generations. Like, if you love him and you stop doing the dumb stuff where the bar is... Rillo, you are his chosen people. He will love you for a thousand generations. So, like, if your grand, great, great grandpappy did what he was supposed to do, like that—that is a thousand generations. Then Romans five or Romans Deuteronomy five says, "You shall not bow down. This is talking about idols. Bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God." punishing the children for their sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who, uh, the, who hate me by showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, so I personally have fixated on the, how do I not do the three to four generation thing? Or am I stuck in the three to four generation? I can make it all about myself and the negative. I miss the thousand <laughs> generations of blessings. Do you see the lopsided in this? If you start to look at it, you like, man, God's mean. Third, why am I paying for this? No, 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 no. If you do the bare minimum, you're blessed for a thousand generations. And the lopsided of this is third and fourth generation going to be punished if you don't. You see the inequity in that? It's ridiculous inequality of grace ridiculous inequality of grace. When it comes to God and loving us, I want you get to get used to the idea of a ridiculous inequality of grace. We can't ever measure up. We can't ever stay with it. The Israelite people weren't perfect ever. They, they, they messed up the Ten Commandments like the moment it was written. <laughs> right? Right? They, they, they do that. God continually brings them back, has a plan to rectify them, to restore them. We do the same thing. We try. We continue to fail. And we participate in the crazy inequality of grace. Why is this important? Well, I think it's even more important on the Sunday that we're in right now. This is Palm Sunday. This is when Jesus enters Jerusalem. And the palms are waved. and Hosanna, Hosanna. And everyone's like pumped because they think Jesus is coming in to take over and be a military commander. And he's going to right the wrongs. And he's going to set them free of the Roman government. The Israelite people, the Hebrew people have found themselves once again slaves of a foreign power. They're, They're all intents and purposes slaves of the Roman Empire. And what they're hoping for is another Moses character to come in and to set the people free. And so when Jesus has kind of been doing his ministry, he comes in, they're hoping that this is who Jesus will be. This will be the the mosaic. They're remembering this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going to set us free. He's going to do this. He's going to, we're going to have some more plagues and those Romans are going to eat some frogs and it's going to be awesome. And what's going to happen is Jesus has a whole different agenda on it, something that's bigger and greater and uh, more profound and more generous than they can even imagine. Um, but there's this moment of, oh, here he is. Let's go. This is amazing. They're welcoming their, welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem at the week of the Passover. The reason why they're so heightened in this is they're getting ready for the biggest party of the year. They're getting ready for the Passover They're getting ready to experience and be reminded of how God has been faithful, how God brought them out, how God brought them out of bondage. How All I will statements are real popular during, during Passover, right? They remember the stories. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is why, this is why, this is why. All of that amazing victory of God is coming home at this moment in their heads. And so when they see Jesus coming in, they're like, ah, here we go. We get to be a part and live that story out again. We get to be those people. And so that's why they're so amped uh, when when Jesus is coming in. I think it's also why they're so disappointed when he says, uh, that's not the kind of kingdom I'm setting up." They're like, "What? Crucify him! You didn't meet our expectations. You didn't meet our our hopes and our dreams. You didn't fit our narrative." I wouldn't know anybody who gets upset when someone else doesn't fit their narrative, or <laughs> right? That's a very human reaction. That's what happens in Jesus and. And and what, why next weekend happens, and I'll try to save some of my message for next week. At uh, this time, right? But Jesus coming in to celebrate—it's a physical example of how God is honoring the promises made a thousand years prior. It's a thousand years between Moses and the Mosaic Covenant and Jesus coming, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these "I will" statements. I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will bring you out and I will give you a possession. His life and his death and resurrection, him enacting, being the sacrificial lamb that takes on the sin of the world is the embodiment of this and explodes it to exponentially. Because instead of God just promising a select group of people in the desert of Egypt, he is expounding that to all people everywhere for all time. He's like, it's almost that the the Hebrew people were like the test kitchen for grace. And when Jesus comes in for this ultimate Passover, it's boom, and it explodes to be for everyone. Because, I mean, probably every single one of us are born Gentiles. Every one of us have access to God through Jesus. It's amazing. the ridiculous generosity of grace. Just absurd. The whole thing is absurd. The whole thing is set up so that it is so lopsided of the action of God loving us, God's mercy to us, God's grace to us, God's redemptive story to us from what is required and expected out of us. It always has been. If you follow this, I'll bless you for a thousand generations. Don't do that. And the consequences of a third or the fourth generation. This is If we had a bar graph, it would be very lopsided. Do you under, I hope you're conceptualizing this, this idea because often I have missed the thousand. I just blow over it. It's like, eh, whatever. That's just hyperbole or whatever. But God's saying, no, 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 no if you're going to understand the grace of god if you're going to understand my action in human humanity if you're going to understand how i i am so absolutely in love and will do anything for you people that i i promise i will bring you out i promise i have something better for you i promise i will redeem you and these promises come with a weight they come with an absurd generosity when moses gives he gives a priestly blessing to Aaron to give whenever there's a worship service, whenever there's a service happening, and how how are we supposed to bless the people? How are we supposed to impart blessing onto the people in our in our in our midst? And it comes this beautiful blessing that you've heard me say a variation of for years now. And if I did not end the message with this blessing, you all would look around and be like, "Is church not over?" Actually, that happened one time. One time, um, I was trying something new. I wanted to be at the back of the sanctuary at the end of the message. And I, I left and let the, the worship team finish the message. And Bree Moore looked around. She's like, church isn't over. Jared didn't do the blessing, right? May the Lord bless you and keep you May his face. shine upon you all the days of your life, you are dismissed. You're not. Don't go anywhere. All right. Uh, so <laughs> I do that. I, I started doing that for my um, youth back in georgia and um because there was just so much you when students come in and they come in with so much baggage and all the issues that they were dealing with, I wanted the, that to be the high point of their week to know that god's face was shining on them and um so i I really did that and then when I had children uh, i would I would sit there with Bowen and Kendall being ba- very babies and I'd put my hands on them every night before they they went to bed and i would I'd bless them. Lord bless you and keep you. May face shine upon you days of your life. I love, you, I, love you, I love you. 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 Good night. And Bowen would usually call me like a stinky sock after that or something like that. Um, but uh, and I still do it. They don't know it. I usually sneak into the rooms because they're big now. But I still bless them. And Lucy every night because it's just this powerful, beautiful moment. And as I was studying the scripture, this blessing, this week, it hit me even more. How God, as I try to remind my children in this blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may his face shine upon you. I try to remind that of my kids daily. I try to remind you of that weekly. But when this is part of their life in, in the priestly uh, office of how they're supposed to conduct themselves, Let's look at these words, and I want you, maybe for the first time, you'll see something in here that you've never seen before. Number six, 24 to 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. This is the priestly blessing, and it's loaded with goody, just loaded. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Let the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This is a blessing of absurd, ridiculous grace. The Lord who delivered us releases us from bondage, redeems us, and take us, takes us as his people. He promises these things. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I want, like, think about keep you. Keep you. Keep you. Where have you heard this before? Right? I will take you as my people. We're playing for keeps. I get you. I get to hold you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. He's promised. I will take you as mine, as my own. May his face shine upon you and be gracious Toward you, this grace, this grace. Moses saw the shadow of the Lord and his face was like, they made him wear a veil whenever he walked through camp because his face was glowing. It's like the ultimate sunburn, right? It's just, wow. Like, dude, you're too bright because he saw the shadow of God. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the grace. Like, if you can underline, I would underline that because this is what it is to be redeemed. When he promises and the, the the statement, I will redeem you. May his face shine upon you, and may he continually redeem you. This is who God is and who he acts to be for you. So I hope you're starting to see that even this blessing, this something that would have been given every day, every time they go to temple, every time they went to the tabernacle, every time they, they did anything, this priestly blessing. It was a reminder of the I will statements. I will take you out. I will redeem you. I, I will take you as my people. And finally, his face turned towards you and give you peace. Now, the peace, we've talked about the shalom of God a lot. Here. But the peace of God is incredibly powerful and and important for us to understand because we understand peace is like, ah, the absence of conflict. If it's going to be the absence of conflict in your life, in your soul, in your heart, in your country, there has to be something fought for to have peace. Is that peace just doesn't all of a sudden ah, peace? Like if you have to go to a secluded place to have peace. You want to go hike a mountain. Well, you fought for it because you hiked the mountain to get to that spot. Does that make sense? If we have peace after a war, well, there was a war fought so that there could be peace afterwards. Do you understand? Like, Shalom, like, we always, like, oh, God, just give me peace. We just want it to go go away. Well, there has to be something moved in this moment for peace to be achieved. Either that's an inner working that has to be, we have to deal with some stuff, get rid of some things, carve away some some bad habits, whatever that is, some bad thought processes, whatever that is, we have to do that work. God's got to do a work in us for us to get peace. Does this make sense? Often we want to have lazy peace. We're like, God, just give us peace. And we're like, well, you didn't give us peace. Well, you got to do something. You got to to change your attitude. You got to come to me. You got to try. (laughs) Try something. You got to do something to, to engage into that peace. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This peace stuck out to me as as I studied this. The peace of God is always fought for. And it's God who fights for us. God has battled for you and gives you peace. In this particular setting, if we think about who and how these people would have understood how God fights for them, God himself, Yahweh, went to war against the pantheon of the Egyptian gods, right? We had a whole message. It was really cool. If you did not get to hear that message, go back and listen to that one. Not to pat myself on the back, but that one was fun, okay? I learned more getting ready for that message than I've learned in a long time. Um, We went through systematically how the plagues counteracted uh, the Egyptian gods just systematically said, I'm bigger and better and better than you, than your God. I'm bigger and better and better than your God. I'm bigger and better than that God. I'm bigger and better than this God. I'm bigger, just boom, 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 boom. Just systematically went through them. And so when he says, I, God give you peace, is that he has fought for you and he has taken down all the Egyptian's gods. That goes even further because I will bring you out of slavery. To come out of slavery, you have to have defeated the Egyptian state. Now, the Egyptian Empire at this time is the most powerful empire the world had ever known. The world had ever known. It had lasted for thousands and thousands of years. At this time, and this is a long time ago. They had always been there. It had always been the most powerful. It had always had all of the, the most powerful army. And God, when he says, I will bring you out, I have fought for you, I've beaten their gods, and I have beaten them, the most powerful nation. In the world, And so when we say his face turned towards you and give you peace, the same God who fought the most powerful gods in the, in the pantheon and defeated them, the same God who fought the most powerful army that the world had ever seen. They had a thing called a chariot, which is a modern day like Abram's tank. The Hebrew people had slingshots and wooden staffs. Like this is how ridiculously different it was. That God fought the battle for them and gave them peace. He fought for their peace. And so when we come back to this scripture, the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember that I have chosen you as my people. The Lord make make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Remember the redemption that I offer you away to me. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Remember how I have faced insurmountable odds and won victory after victory after victory for you. So even in this priestly blessing, even in this moment of repetition, even in this moment of coming back to it, we get to hear and, and hopefully internalize these I will statements. And hopefully that's what was going on in the Israelite people too. That the very way in which the priestly blessing was set up is to remind them that God's not left them. He's not just set them on a, a, a abandoned journey into the desert in the Sinai Peninsula. He hasn't. He has taken them as his people. He has redeemed them. And he has bought them peace. When we start thinking about that blessing on a little deeper terms like that and setting it in the example of Exodus, whoa! I I was just starting, oh, that's so much. It's already an amazing blessing. It's already really fun to say. It's already really fun to sing. It's already really, like, this is deeper and deeper and deeper because it goes back to how God keeps his word and his action in even our lives, that he will keep us, that he will redeem us, and he will fight for us. Every blessing, he's reminding them this. He's reminding that he promises. He's reminding of the absurd inequality of grace. This morning and this week, as we prepare for Easter, I hope and I pray that you start preparing your hearts for understanding and being a part of the absurd reality of grace. Ben, why don't you come on up? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for who you are and what you're about and what you're doing. And, Lord, I thank you that you are a God who does not give up on us, that you are a God who does amazing things, that you are a God who is not looking for equality in our relationship, that you love us and you forgive us and you redeem us and you continually call us yours. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. And a special thanks to all those who continue to support our mission through your generosity. You too can support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community by giving on the website or through the app. To make sure you never miss out on a message, be sure to subscribe. And don't forget to hit that share button to spread the word. Have a great week.